0: Hopelessness is a terrible thing. Without hope, life becomes unbearable. Hopelessness is deadly. Loneliness is a terrible thing. Loneliness makes life unbearable for many. Fear is a terrible thing. Fear, too, can make life unbearable. A purposeless existence is a terrible thing, and it makes life worthless. All terrible things, regardless of what they are constructed of. The hopeless, lonely, fearful, purposeless masses are in a terrible, unbearable state, and imagine that condition will last forever. Eternity never ends. A myriad of solutions are sought and aggressively marketed, but no cure is offered by carnaldom. The Word of God offers the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Jesus Christ the righteous, who fully and completely supplies the cure. It all begins at the place Jesus calls born again. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you tired of the pursuit of this life's empty fruits? Do you yearn to be free of your sin and shame and Satan's deadly stranglehold? Will today be your day of salvation? Will today be the day You enter the sunshine of God's fullness. This is your valley of decision, and your solution is just minutes away. Follow this prompt right now. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the invisible kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, for it giveth his color in the cup when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women." And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. God said Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. God said, Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Man said, a little moderation, a little bit of wine, a little bit of beer, a little whiskey, marijuana, cocaine, whatever you want, just a little. Hey, Jesus made wine, didn't he? Now the record. There are nine features on God said man said that deal with alcohol in Christians. Should a Christian consume alcoholic beverages? This feature will sample foundational information from past God said man said features and then for your consideration, offer the latest research this causing quite a stir. When God condemns an action, wise men and women take heed. Years ago, while working in the prison ministry, I met a man named Victor. Victor was an alcoholic and was incarcerated as a result of deeds spawned by his bondage. Victor had all the necessary tools to succeed in life, but in his approximate sixty years, success was absent. Poor Victor's life was wasted, and many other lives affected. Family members, friends, loved ones, employers, taxpayers, etc., were directly damaged by his actions. I asked Victor when he became an alcoholic, and he said, "'My first drink.'" Moderation didn't work for Victor. "'God said, man said, subject, alcohol and Christians.'" In etymology, which is the study of words, a guideline exists known as the Rule of First Occurrence. The rule basically states that a word's definition is established during the word's first use. The word drunken is first found in Genesis 9.21. This is the first account of the existence of alcoholic beverages and of someone suffering the effects of alcohol, and it happened to none other than Noah. Scientists note that Noah was blindsided. He was an expert husbandman, making wine for hundreds of years, but this time, immediately after the worldwide flood, things were not the same. Further on in this feature I will explain. Nevertheless, Noah became drunk and passed out in his tent. His son Ham, in the presence of his brothers, showed disrespect to his father concerning this matter. When Noah awoke, being aware of what Ham did— he cursed Ham's son Canaan. This young man went on to populate the land of Canaan, which today is the land of Israel. These people, as well as the Ishmaelites and other Arabian people, presently reside in the Middle East and are participating in the region's terrible turmoil. They will find themselves complicit in bringing about the great, horrendous battle of Armageddon. Imagine The first occurrence of alcoholic beverages will go on to participate in the battle, the earth-ending battle of Armageddon. The devastating effects of alcohol are, in fact, like an Armageddon on the world's population. This feature was first published in the year 2002. The statistics cited are from the United States. The effects of alcohol in many other nations, I'm sure, are as bad or even worse than those of the U.S. The current population in 2002 of the United States is estimated at 307,673,950. Consider these facts. 13 million adult Americans are alcoholics, and another 76 million are adversely affected by its results— This year, an estimated 100,000 Americans will die as a result of alcohol. This number is nearly twice the number of U.S. soldiers killed in the entire Vietnam War. Alcohol is involved in 50% of all violent crimes, as well as 50% of all fatal accidents. Three out of 10 U.S. citizens will be involved in an alcohol-related auto accident in their lifetimes. Imagine it is estimated that the U.S. forks out $167 billion a year as a result of the damages of alcohol. One out of four of America's children reside in an alcohol abusive home and suffer psychosomatic illnesses. Today it is estimated that 11 million U.S. children and adolescents are drinking alcoholic beverages. Consider the broken hearts of deserted mothers, fathers, and children. Consider the broken homes, the adultery, rape, fornication, and other woes that are caused by consuming alcoholic beverages. Another terrible uh, devastation caused by alcohol is the effects of it on the unborn in the mother's womb. It's called fetal alcohol syndrome. It can be caused by a mother drinking as little as one alcoholic beverage during pregnancy. It is the number one cause of birth defects and renders its children with IQs 13 to 16 points lower than their non-affected counterparts. Many cases of mental retardation are the result of fetal alcohol syndrome. Drinking kills neurons, causes cancer, destroys livers, damages the ability to discern between right and wrong, and so on. With this phenomenal weight of witnesses testifying against the consumption of alcohol, why does so much biblical confusion appear to exist? The Word of God speaks about wine and strong drink. Wine is the main focus of this article. I wrote earlier that Noah was the first man in recorded history to become drunken, and that creation scientists say that this righteous man was blindsided, and here's the reason why. The natural fermentation process that causes the juice of the grape, for instance, to ferment, is a result of atmospheric changes that took place during the days of Noah. Prior to the great Noitic flood, a water canopy encompassed the earth. This water canopy was destroyed by God and cast down to the earth. It has since been replaced with an ozone layer. According to scientists, the banished water canopy— would have filtered out the ultraviolet killer rays from the sun. For one thing, UV rays cause bacteria, a natural yeast, to form on the grapes in the field, as well as on all other fruits, which in turn causes the juice to ferment. Prior to Noah, these UV rays were blocked by God's water canopy. Consequently, Noah would have been unaware of the dangers of fermentation. The process of fermentation takes place when the yeast, which is a product of UV rays, excuse me, acts on the sugar in the fruit, converting it first into alcohol and carbon dioxide gas, and then, unless it's protected from the air, into vinegar. In 1790, the Cistercian monks discovered that by adding sugar, they could markedly increase the alcohol content of the wine. In addition, most of today's winemakers add a yeast starter to the naturally occurring yeast in the juice to spike alcohol content yet higher. In Proverbs 23:31, it reads, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. In other words, don't drink the wine after it has fermented. Also the wine God commanded us not to drink, at a very low alcoholic content because of the low levels of sugar in the grapes of the Middle East, in comparison to today's alcoholic beverages, according to the history book, archaeology, and Bible history, actual wine and beer in ancient Palestine contained not more than five to eight percent alcohol, due to the limitation of natural sugar in the grapes, ju- uh, the grapes juice, excuse me, and the malt which was used. Some of the confusion concerning the drinking of alcoholic beverages is that many erroneously think that the word wine in the Bible strictly refers to the fermented juice of the grape. A simple search of the Scriptures, however, reveals that unfermented grape juice is called wine as well as the fermented juice. This is shown in the following Scripture passages, Isaiah sixty-five eight. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sakes, that I may not destroy them all. Joel chapter 2, verse 24, And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Please note that it is called wine as it comes forth from the wine-press. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words which are both translated into English as the word wine. The first word, tirosh, occurs 38 times, and it means must, fresh or new wine. The word must is defined as the expressed, unfermented juice of the grape, again from the textbook Archaeology and Bible History. The following excerpt deals with the two Hebrew words translated as wine. It begins by explaining the word tirosh. Examination of the use of this word shows that it does not refer to a fermented drink. Eleven times it speaks of wine as a first fruit fresh from the harvest, usually in the phrase corn, wine, and oil, and obviously refers to grape juice. Seventeen times it is used with grain and oil as natural products of the field. Again, clearly implying grape juice. In three places, Tirosh is said to be filling the presses, obviously referring to freshly pressed juice. Joel 2.24, Hosea 9.2, and Proverbs 3.10. Isaiah 65.8 pictures Tirosh as being still in the cluster of grapes, and Micah 6.15 is the clearest of all, mentioning Tirosh as the material from which fermented wine is formed. Only in one place is there any association between tirosh and wickedness. That's Hosea 4.11. Whoredom and wine, yayin, excuse me, and new wine, tirosh, take away the heart. Even here in this particular context, there is no mention of actual drunkenness and no suggestion that tirosh in itself is intoxicating. It is clear, then, that tirosh is regularly used in the sense of grape juice, a beverage with no appreciable content of alcohol. Concerning the second Hebrew word, yayin, it goes on to say, yayin is the most common word for wine in the Old Testament, occurring 135 times, and clearly means fermented wine. At least 30 times, yayin is definitely associated with drunkenness, and its use is more or less condemned. It was prohibited to the Nazarites. Daniel refused the king's yayin. About half of the passages mentioning yayin in the Old Testament are clearly denunciatory. In some places, it is mentioned merely as a natural product without praise or blame, just as polygamy is referred to at times without specific condemnation being given at that reference. An examination of passages supposed to support the use of yayin shows that they really do not give such support. The use of yayin in uh, making the drink offering does not support partaking of wine, for this offering was not drunk. End of quote. Please note, this drink offering was never consumed, was poured out before the Lord, just as all things detrimental to human health were commanded by God to not be consumed, i.e., the fat, the blood, the dung, the call above the liver. As in the Old Testament, the word wine in the New Testament can mean unfermented or fermented wine. When Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine, it refers to fermented wine. Wine, then, can be fermented or unfermented. Now concerning the marriage supper in Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine, There is one very obvious reason that certifies that Jesus, in fact, did not create fermented wine, and that reason is that the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless. Had He created fermented wine and contributed to the drunkenness of others, He would have been guilty of disobeying the many commandments forbidding it. Do you suppose Jesus would have created wine that, if consumed by a pregnant woman attending the marriage supper— could have harmed her unborn child with fetal alcohol syndrome? Do you suppose that our Lord Jesus would have given the people fermented wine, causing men to lust after their neighbor's wives, fistfight in the parking lot, and wreck their chariots on the way home? Would it be so hard to fathom that the miracle wine Jesus produced would be the finest wine that man has ever tasted, and that the Creator of the universe—Hebrews 1 and 2— could accomplish this feat without the contamination of alcohol. Wouldn't you suppose that Christ's miracle wine would be free of fermenting bacteria caused by harmful UV rays from the sun? The answers are, of course, and of course. In regard to the heavenly miracle wine, Jesus comments in Matthew 26:29 just before his crucifixion, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine, until that day when i drink it new with you in my father's kingdom note when i drink it new not only inferring freshly pressed wine but wine before the contamination caused by man's sin before the uv rays that cause fermentation proponents of alcoholic consumption felt vindicated when a 1999 University of Wisconsin medical school study ascribed great health benefits to fermented wine. At least, that's how much of the story the media reported. The research revealed that in wine are found tannins and flavonoids that diminish cholesterol and may fight blood clotting. What most media failed to report is that unfermented wine, grape juice, has the very same health benefits. As with other juices all wine that is not pasteurized will in a process uh, will be in a process of fermentation. If for instance you purchase a gallon of unpasteurized apple cider without preservatives and leave it on the kitchen counter, the process of fermentation, the sugar of the apple juice being converted to alcohol and carbon dioxide gas would begin. You can drink it as it progresses, and the very low levels of alcohol will have no serious effect until it reaches critical alcohol mass. So then the mention in Proverbs, long at the wine, comes into play. While the alcohol content is at at a very low level, in order for it to have a negative effect, one would have to spend a long time drinking it. But when the fermentation process is complete— one water glass fool can knock you on your backside, and the terrible predictions of Proverbs 23 will come to pass. So much, then, for the moderate drinking of fully fermented alcoholic beverages. Those who promote the concept of moderation, citing verses such as 1 Timothy 3.8, which reads, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Need to read a few verses above that, in verse 2, which reads, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality, apt to teach. This word sober is discussed in the following paragraph in Archaeology and Bible History. The New Testament attitude toward intoxicating drink is shown by the injunction for Christians to be nephalios, translated sober. This word is used, only, is used only three times in the New Testament—1 Timothy 3, verse 2, and verse 11, and Titus 2.2—but 2, 2. it is used regularly in the classical author's meaning, free from all wine. This word strongly shows that the New Testament ideal is total abstinence." End of quote. The dictionary defines sober as, not given or addicted to the use of intoxicating beverages— abstinent, free from the influence of intoxicating beverages. Finally, from archaeology and Bible history, in summary, we are left with the biblical condemnation of alcoholic drink and a definite denunciation of drunkenness as sin. Nowhere is moderate drinking given approval. The existence of light-fermented wine does not mean that God sanctions its use for beverage purposes. Furthermore, A different situation exists today with the use of modern strong alcoholic beverages. Solomon's observations of long ago is just as applicable today, if not more so. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red; At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. The Christian's motto should simply be, We drink no wine that's past the line. And, of course, that includes all fermented or distilled alcoholic beverages, end of quote. From the God Said, Man Said feature, The Curse of Alcohol Brother David Wilkerson's research on the wine issue adds solid historic information to the subject. It must be noted that wine, by biblical definition, is either fermented or unfermented juice of the grape. Past God Said, Man Said features establish this finding with chapter and verse. The following excerpts are from Wilkerson's 1978 book titled, Sipping Saints. The word juice does not appear in the New Testament and only once in the Old. All fruit of the vine was called wine, whether it was fermented or not. There are thirteen different words used in the Bible which are interpreted as wine, nine in Hebrew and Chaldea and four in Greek. The distinction between fermented and unfermented wine is cited by ancient writers, again from Wilkerson's Sipping Saints. Even classical writers spoke of unintoxicating wine. Horace in 65 B.C. says, Here you quaff under a shade cups of unintoxicating wine. This day, sacred in the revolving year, remove the cork fastened with pitch from the jar which was set to fumigate. Drinking was referred to without passion. Plutarch in 60 A.D. writes, That filtered wine neither inflames the brain nor infects the mind and the passions, and is much more pleasant to drink. Aristotle says uh, of sweet wine called glucose that it it was not intoxicating, and the wine of Arcadia was so thick it was necessary to scrape it from the skin bottles in which it was stored and dissolve the scrapings in water. Virgil in 70 B.C. says, Or of sweet must boils down the luscious juice. Homer, in his Odyssey, Book 9, tells us that Ulysses took in his boat a goatskin of sweet black wine, and that before it was drunk it was diluted with twenty parts of water. Being thick, it required water to prepare it for drinking. Varro speaks of gathering wine, Cato of hanging wine, Ovid, and scarce can the grapes contain the wine they have therein. Columella and other writers who were contemporaries with the apostles inform us that in Italy and Greece it was common to boil the wines, which of course they would not have done if the alcohol content was desired. Archbishop Potter, born A.D. 161, in his Grecian Antiquities, Edinburgh edition, says this, "'The Lacedomanians used to boil their wines upon the fire until the fire was consumed.' then after four years were expired, began to drink them. He refers to uh, Democritus, a celebrated philosopher who traveled across the greater part of Europe, Asia, and Africa, and who died in 361 BC. Also to Palladius, a Greek physician, as making a similar statement. These ancient authorities called the boiled juice of the grape wine. The Mishnah states that the Jews were in the habit of using boiled wine. Concerning boiled, uh, boiling the juice, Wilkerson weighs in with the following, It is an unchangeable law of nature that vinous fermentation requires temperatures between 50 degrees and 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Fermentation in climates above 70 degree, 75 degrees Fahrenheit will be acetous vinegar-like. Fermentation may be prevented by boiling, by filtration, by excluding air, and by adding sulfur. Grape juice boils at two hundred twelve degrees Fahrenheit. Alcohol evaporates at one hundred seventy degrees Fahrenheit, which is forty two degrees Fahrenheit below the boiling point, the object of boiling uh, being to preserve the sweetness of the juice. Columella and other contemporary writers with the apostles recorded that in Sicily and Greece it was common to boil their wines doctor not. Horace, born B.C. 65, said there is no wine sweeter to drink than lesbian, that it was like nectar, and more resembled ambrosia than wine, that it was perfectly harmless and would not produce intoxication. I am convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus turned water into new sweet wine unfermented. It was the same kind of sweet, unintoxicating wine that is still produced today, in many southern Asian and European countries— Much noise has been sounded concerning the benefits of wine drinking, meaning fermented wine. Mostly the reporters failed to mention that unfermented wine—purple grape juice—delivers the same benefit. Neither have you heard much noise about the medical world's backtracking on their original proclamation. The following paragraphs from God Said Man Said Wine 2 address these issues. The following excerpt is from the publication Better Nutrition. Solid research indicates uh, phytonutrients in the wine, not the alcohol, are the awesome antioxidant workers. Red wine and its non-alcoholic equal, purple grape juice, are brimming with the antioxidants resveratrol, grape seed, anthocyanidins, quercetin, elegic acid, phenolic flavonoids, and epicatechin purple grape juice is perhaps the most powerful antioxidant on earth, having demonstrated the highest ORAC rating of more than 40 fruits, vegetables, and juices tested in the lab, end of quote. Now, the latest research is in, and it's not good news for consumers of alcoholic beverages. The following excerpts are from a report citing research concerning alcohol consumption. Cancel happy hour. Alcohol shrinks brain was the title of the report. It reads, December 5, 2003. Forget that cabernet at dinner. At happy hour, just say no. For middle-aged people, drinking alcohol in moderate amounts actually causes the brain to slightly deteriorate, a new study shows. What's more, you get no protection from stroke, which runs contrary to previous studies that show moderate alcohol intake associated with some protection against it. A new study published in this month's issue of Stroke, Journal of the American Heart Association, also delves into this issue of drinking alcohol and brain shrinkage. Previous studies have linked heavy drinking with brain deterioration as well as stroke. But this is the first to show that even moderate drinking, 7 to 14 drinks a week, causes the same sort of brain atrophy, and it occurs as early as in middle age, so writes researcher Jing Zhang Ding, Ph.D., an epidemiologist with the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, end of quote. The following short paragraphs are from the fall 2008 issue of Be Well, a publication of the Cleveland Clinic. Since researchers found the link between red wine and a reduced risk of heart disease, many women have been enjoying a glass a day. However, uh, women should weigh the benefits and risks for themselves after the surprising finding that all types of alcohol, including wine, increase a woman's chances of developing breast cancer, end of quote. From the God Said, Man Said feature, Alcohol and Christians, part two. Concerning the marriage supper in Jesus— In the first article on this subject, we explained the miracle of turning water into wine performed at Cana by Jesus. We fully dispelled the notion that this wine would cause drunkenness. Here's more on this subject. John chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Concerning the words good wine in verse 10, ancient writers Pliny and Plutarch stated that good wines were those which would not intoxicate, having had their alcohol content removed. Concerning good wine, Dr. S. Bacciacci of Andrews University, author of Wine in the Bible, said, Scriptural and moral consistency requires that the good wine produced by Christ was fresh, unfermented grape juice. This is supported by the very adjective used to describe it, namely kalos, which denotes that which is morally excellent, instead of agathos, which means simply good. End of quote. Concerning Timothy's stomach, Much to do has been made about the instructions that the Apostle Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23, which says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities. Again, from a preview of wine in the Bible, ancient writers such as Aristotle, Athenaeus, and Pliny Indicated that unfermented wine was known and preferred to alcoholic wine for medical purposes because it did not have the side effects of the latter. In the light of these testimonies and of other biblical teachings regarding wine, it is reasonable to assume that the wine recommended by Paul for medical use was unfermented grape juice. The conclusion of this whole study on the biblical teaching regarding the use of alcoholic beverages. Can be summarized in one sentence. Scripture is consistent in teaching moderation in the use of wholesome, unfermented beverages and abstinence from the use of intoxicating, fermented beverages. End of quote. Alcohol consumption is Satan's snare. In the September 14, 2018 issue of the week, on their Health and Science page, you'll find the following excerpts under the heading, how much alcohol is safe. In a hotly disputed finding, a major global study has concluded that there is no safe level of alcohol consumption and that even the occasional drink can be harmful to your health. The Global Burden of Disease study examined data on drinking in 195 countries between 1990 and 2016, focusing on how consumption affected risk for 23 different alcohol-related issues. The researchers found that even as little as one drink a day over a year slightly increased the incidence of health problems. A low level of alcohol use does seem to provide some protection against heart disease and diabetes, researchers acknowledged, but those benefits are outweighed by other impacts. But the study method sparked widespread skepticism, reports the New York Times. The researchers weren't able to control for possible confounding factors. People who drink may be more likely to smoke, for example. Many researchers argue that recommending zero alcohol consumption is unrealistic and unhelpful. Claiming there is no safe level does not mean uh, does not seem an argument for abstention, says David Spiegelhalter, a statistician at Cambridge University. There's no safe level of driving but governments do not recommend that people avoid driving, end of quote. Yeah, no safe level is what the research said. Inherit within every commandment of God is a blessing or a curse. Because God's word is the supernatural inerrant truth, obeying it yields the fruit of the blessing, the blessing of doing the right thing. Because God's word is the supernatural inerrant truth, disobeying it yields the deadly fruit of the curse." the curse of doing the wrong thing when god's word condemns any activity wise men and women boys and girls obey it's a matter of doing the right thing run to the commandment and judgment not from it god said proverbs 23:29 through 35 who hath woe who hath sorrow who hath contentions who hath babbling who hath wounds without cause who hath redness of eyes they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast, They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. God said, Habakkuk 2.15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. God said, Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise man said a little moderation a little bit of wine a little bit of beer a little whiskey marijuana cocaine whatever you want just a little hey jesus made wine didn't he now you have the record